Welcome to the Arise Podcast, conversations on faith, race, justice, gender, and the church. And I'm here with Maggie and our special guest. Maggie, what do we got? I am delighted and honored to introduce to you my friend, Michael Chen. He lives in Philadelphia with his wife, Rachel, and their two boys. He is a graduate of Princeton Seminary, earning his Master's in Divinity, and is currently working on his PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy at Eastern University. As a longtime campus minister, he has a heart for helping people live more fully into their unique identity and vocation. In his free time, he likes exploring cities and eating dumplings. Also, he is a karaoke champion. Uh, I have the total privilege and honor of meeting Michael in the last year of our training at the Allender Center. Um, he is also a master of uh, music and brought so much play and joy to our group. So it is such an honor to uh, have this conversation. Michael, it is so good to see your face. Oh, an honor to be here. Yeah, yeah, really fun. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Yes, we are too. So tell us, how are you coming today? What is on your heart? How have you been? Like, just give us a quick update. Yeah, uh, feeling tired, but grateful today. Just uh, several late nights and early mornings this week, but uh, the work that I think I'm getting to do, um, work we're getting to do here is uh, so meaningful and so many good people, so many great conversations um, with folks like yourselves. And so, uh, yeah, a little, little sleepy-eyed, a little bleary-eyed, but uh, feeling very gr- grateful today. Yeah, can you just check in with us? Like, where are you located? What's uh, a little bit about, like, what is your COVID normal right now? Yeah, uh, Philadelphia. So yeah, we've been we've been locked down here in quarantine pretty much uh, you know since the beginning. And uh, Rachel and I got married October twenty nineteen. Um, so not long after that, the pandemic hit, and uh, we were really, you know, on the accelerator to get to know each other and get to know all the quirks and dynamics of. <laughs> newly married life uh and honestly it's been great yeah yeah there have been times where we're definitely like triggering each other but uh i think we just have so much faith trust and love in one another and you know what we're called to who we're called to be um i think it's been just a really very rich time obviously so many walls that we've hit <laughs> emotionally spiritually um throughout this throughout this season but uh you know we're really looking forward to philadelphia opening up more uh we've got two boys uh that we're co-parenting and you know they're going back to hybrid school next week so yeah we started baseball season oh. <laughs> i love that you have some uh some new opening things up coming out for you like the baseball and and, and the potential for hybrid learning and getting a little more space um, because this has been an otherwise uh, stifling season yeah. uh, at home and collectively. Um, and this, this week, particularly holding all um, with, you know, our brothers and sisters of color, as we watched the Derek Chauvin trial. And I don't know if you could speak to what that was like for you um, watching the verdict come in or, or how you've been holding that. Um, you know, as a, as a person of color. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Thanks for checking in. Um, 
I honestly felt angry, not at the verdict, um, but that my brothers and sisters, sibling, you know, the black siblings <laughs> that I have, that we have, um, felt so much relief at something that should have been um, like a no-brainer, and it felt uh, felt bad, honestly, um, having to wait that long too for. Uh, a verdict, verdict that seemed um, like such a no-brainer again. Um, it seems so clear. Uh, so the, a lot of mixed emotions, you know, certainly relief, relief there as well, um, but m more anger and um, at just the, the sense of, you know, how how can this be the how can this be the case that um, you know something seemingly as straightforward and clear uh, would even be a question um, that folks feel a sense of relief? Um, so yeah, sitting sitting with that. Yeah, I felt that like um, when you're saying it just the idea that white folks have and, and uh, talk about justice in a way that they're entitled to it and it's a right. And I think this exposes along with so many other historical narratives that, um, you know, all the way Emmett Till and um, different murders on the border, um, just how justice is not actually built a built-in right for all people. And so yeah, therefore, right. you know, this queasy stomach and the uneasiness, like what's going to happen? Because we know it's not an equal right. Right, right. And yeah, and hence the relief. But it's like, uh, I just don't like that. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to hear how you uh, kind of took that, took that news in, how you've processed the verdict and and then uh Micaiah Bryant I believe that's how you pronounce her name uh you know seeing hearing the news there uh pretty much the same day uh I think put me in a tailspin mm -hmm. sums it up the tailspin and not feeling which direction is up and down I I like you had held a mixed bag I, there was a sense of you know, relief in that this was some measure of justice or accountability, I guess would be a better word for what, what we saw in the Derek Chauvin trial and, and anger um, and knowing how much work there is to, to be done as far as police reform and, and, and gun control and um, white supremacy in our, in our nation. And then just feeling the overwhelming sense of how long oh lord when you when you saw and heard about Micaiah Bryant um and watching videos of her showing her peers how to do her hair I mean I I was I wept because I the only thing I could say is how long and it was it was it was like holding two things uh and like you said tailspin not knowing up and down and feeling um, in the same day 
those things and, and just not, not really knowing how to make meaning or make sense. Yeah. 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 I, I feel that, um, we were not built for, to take in this much information this quickly mm-hmm. without a sense of, of, of ritual, a sense of grief, a space for mourning, a, you know, and the feeling like, yeah, I, I my, my body cannot process um, the amount of trauma, the, the news, um, the rate at the rate it, at which it's coming, uh, the the intensity. So I got I gotta be just cognizant of that and. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a on April nineteenth because I dated this essay I wrote. I I wrote an essay and I wrote of course about um, Adam and Dante and um, a little bit about the impact of the massacre in Atlanta and then wrote about my journey as a therapist in the middle of that and not no sooner had I sent it off to get published than all of a sudden the George Floyd verdicts coming back and in the same instant Micaiah Bryant is killed and I went to bed after I'd already sent it off and I was like well this essay is no longer true Hmm. and so I I pulled it back and I, I edited it because Mm. I wanted to include those aspects of the story and I submitted it today and it will be come out sometime the week of May 3rd. And my first thought was, Oh Lord, like, will I have to read, will I have to change this again? Will, Mm. will, Mm. will there be more stories to tell that, because I already know in my bones, it won't feel right to leave a name out as much as I can. So, so I, I feel that like you're saying, Michael, like it's too much to take in. And, and it feels like the only thing we can do sometimes is just say their name and then it just gets kind of like pushed. Mm. Yeah. 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 Which feels like a, almost another violation or <laughs> injustice. <laughs> Mm -hmm. oh sorry keep go for it Maggie I was gonna say one of the your posts recently um uh, the work you've been doing with your AAPI liturgy has been profound and you recently post about really looking at trauma and expanding it to include collective trauma um, and group trauma And and I just wanted to to read one of the the posts for our listeners. Um, A group experience of pain, loss, or catastrophe that shatters the social bonds that form a community, resulting in a loss of trust, dissolution of roles and boundaries, and the breaking of group identity. This is a quote from Kai Erickson. And just thinking about beginning to define trauma with this collective uh, embracing the collective trauma that we're experiencing and expanding our idea of it being a felt individual embodied experience to mm-hmm. as individual bodies experiencing it collectively. I mean, that is what we have just described mm. as each of us has processed even just the last few days. 
mm-hmm. of what it's like mm-hmm. to live in our bodies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would, you know, love to hear more about, you know, your the a, the AAPI liturgy and 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 what your thoughts are on on collective trauma and how you are using that platform um, to expand, you know, what what we know, what we can feel and understand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, have thought for a long time like this, like I, I, I don't know what it means to be Asian. Um, mm-hmm. And having just grown up in a predominantly white space in, in Minnesota and joining up primarily with white, predominantly white campus ministries, um, that question has been you know, pushed to the side. Um, and even when I took a position in a, an organization as the director for cross-cultural ministry, I felt myself like in this um, kind of mediating space between, you know, white leadership and our staff of color who were predominantly black. Mm. Um, so it felt like I had to do a lot of work on um, African-American history and um, race as a construct, uh, which, in my experience, you know, this is not true for everyone, uh, that has been more of a binary between black and white, mm-hmm. um, the conversations, and um, just so inspired by my friend, uh, Cole Riley, Cole Arthur Riley, uh, and black liturgies and bringing black history, identity, literature, poetry, um, into a liturgical space of prayer, of spiritual formation, so proud of her work um, and thought, okay, the folks that I'm talking to, even the, either like they're professors, like they're still asking the question or they're, they're asking the question, what does it mean to be Asian American and Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, that there seems to be a coming of age kind of moment that we're in right now um, and a real seeking right now of, of identity. And so, um, started AAPI, you know, dot liturgy with um, just a sense of openness, but knowing I think there's something here for us to explore with respect to trauma, with respect to history, mm-hmm. with respect to um, trying to formulate, articulate kind of a new language, kind of a, a way of being um, that might be helpful, you know, for Asians, Asian Americans as we grapple with um, our identity, um, which is, you know, just a really complex history in the US. Um, and so this idea of trauma and, you know, what if we started with a collective definition to the, to that question, what is trauma? Could that change? Would that change potentially how we conceive of healing? Mm. Um, and so, I don't know. <laughs> Literally, just you know, put it out there because I thought the quote was so um, mm. sort of provocative. Who it was shared um, at this uh, the Rooted uh, Trauma Conference uh, by Kai uh, Chen, who is trans trans woman. Mm. So. Um, that's also been a journey for me of actually um, putting myself in spaces to listen, to learn, 
um, to glean from you know folks at the margins, um, and then at the margins in the Asian American community. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're talking about the margins of the you know the margins of the margins. Um, so, you know, I think what struck me in that definition, though, of, you know, trauma, you know, primarily as, as collective is the kind of the violation of boundaries, the violation of roles or the, or the, um, you know, so the breaking down of roles, um, of identities. And, you know, I, I, you know, to be honest, I still have a lot of questions about gender, about sexuality, um, but in doing a bit of reading and, and research, uh, it's my understanding that in Asian, very like very traditional Asian Asian cultures, um, like not all, but there's evidence that um, uh, it's like trans individuals or there's more gender fluidity, and those individuals took on the role of priests and mediators, um, who you know, could essentially mediate between these binaries um, Mm -hmm. that we hold. And so I think about that in terms of roles and identities um, and not ostracizing and not letting people fall to the margins um, where people get a place right in the community. Um, And I thought that was so powerful just thinking about, okay, (laughs) like just the framework of, of, sort of colonialism or sort of Western individualism, I, I, I feel like holds us back um, at, at some level to imagining people with, you know, various identities having particular roles uh, in a community uh, for the purpose of healing and, and connecting. So, you know, I, I had just a lot, a lot of questions, big question marks here, but I'm putting it out there for conversations like this to unfold. So I, and we maybe can discover more, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Like I was, the idea of like starting with the collective trauma, you know? And I I think that 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 kind of unity as the collective of trauma has a way of kind of, well, I think it does like, Uh, stripping shame of so much power right off the bat for the trauma you've experienced as an individual. So I don't, I think it, if you can unite around, we've experienced this, then I think as an individual, it, the shame has less possibility to take root too. Like for the particularity of your own story and the individual. And so, I mean, that's what came to mind when you were talking as so much you said that was like I just want to dive in but that's kind of where I landed like shame just weds us mm-hmm. to like beliefs about ourselves and our communities and there's something really powerful about being able to come together yeah 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 and yeah starting with the sort of collective in mind um and and figuring out a way to deal with rules and shame and um yeah yeah it's 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 a different it's a different uh emphasis it's a different perspective it's a different kind of way of seeing it i like what i like the best is that it, it it's expanding outside of ourselves i think we have a 
we can maybe in a Western culture, just think about ourselves and how we are individually impacted. And, and certainly trauma is also an individual experience that happens inside someone's body. Like I'm definitely want to acknowledge yeah. and name that, yeah. but to, yeah. to allow ourselves to, to open it up to a much broader and bigger felt experience um, of connectedness um, it is, is really, you know, a beautiful and a more rich understanding of how interconnected we all are. Um, and I like, I, one of the things that, you know, I, as I've been witnessing and taking in the, the your offerings, that's kind of how I view the, the posts that you make on your AAPI liturgy. Um, the offerings that you make is also a, a way to name and acknowledge some of the things that are common experiences or felt things for an Asian person to have experienced here. And even in your most recent post, um, you had posted appeasement and apology mm-hmm. have been too much a part of our daily liturgy. These are our survival instincts. And I just love how you said the new AAPI liturgy will be full of quiet strength and holy wonder. And how you are taking this moment as a way to name um, and honor it and then offer it almost like a reframing of how you're going to reclaim this and, and, and you continue to move that forward. And it's just been beautiful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for naming that. Yeah. I, um, I had a professor in seminary who wrote a book, uh, called, um, at the margins, uh, Asian American theology, basically a theology of, of, of liminality of being kind of caught in between. Um, and one p- part, I just got stuck on one part of the book where he was talking about um, being a, as a US citizen for 50 years, but still feeling unwelcome, still feeling a, an outsider, still needing to defer um, and appease, you know, those around him. Um, and him noticing that about his own experience um, just resonated with me so much um, that so many times in, in, in the most current, you know, iteration, because this seems like it just keeps on happening. The most current iteration is like, um, you know, I volunteer to be a baseball coach. Uh, I'm the first one to, you know, respond to an email. And so this commissioner makes me the head coach. Uh, and immediately I said, no. You know, I couldn't, I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I couldn't be that. I couldn't take on that role. Um, and, you know, just numerous, you know, examples throughout my life, but even recently feeling like I still have that voice um, of, sorry, 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 sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, don't take up space, which, which essentially, you know, if I could translate that is like, I'm not going to take up space. I'm not going to get in your way. Um, I won't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, such a survival technique um, of, of not being a, a uh, disruptive kind of presence. Um, and there's something, you know, honorable about that of, of pursuing harmony, of pursuing uh, equanimity, of pursuing 
piece, uh, but what, at what cost, right? Mm -hmm. At what cost? I imagine the minute you don't enter with, even enter the space with appeasement or apology, then there's, there's a disruption for the dominant culture folks. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And then, and then it's sort of sort of like we've got to decide if you know. Typically, we haven't been in power. We've been more at the margins, at the at the at, at the um, kind of periphery of society, organizations, the church. Um, then we've got to decide how much we're going to bear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I want to breathe deep when I hear you say that, because I know as soon as the disruption happens, then there's so much more that follows. If then you additionally do say something. Yeah. 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 So in my you know, previous employers, Christian ministry organization, uh, you know, this role of director for cross-cultural ministry, people have lasted, you know, generally speaking, one, like maybe one to two years and then leave, you know, they leave because it's, um, I, got, I just got a lot of opinions about these kinds of roles now, but um, the, you know, I was there for five years, I think. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of that was, um, yeah, that appeasement and, uh, you know, sometimes apology. And so we, we uh, tend to, 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 to eat it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone once told me like, how much sin do you want to eat from a white for white folk? And that that's really stuck with me because sometimes I just do. Right. Yeah. So it's like this, this, almost continual calculation of the costs of, mm -hmm. do I want to stay in this context or uh, be ostracized, marginalized, kind of on the, on the periphery again, um, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even as we talk, the center is still whiteness, right? We've, we've bumped our, even the conversation, right? Yeah. Maggie, I'm curious what you're thinking. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how costly it must be even for Michael to show up in in your AAPI liturgy. And if that has had a cost for you, um, you know, I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking about how you've, you have named, you know, brilliantly, you have offered, um, you know, truth-telling and lament and and also a reclaiming um, of, of your own face and and what that costs you to do that in in a public setting and as a part of your continued you know identity work of you know you even started this what what does it mean to be Asian American when so much of the conversation has a, been a binary black and white race conversation um, yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about that in relation to like your work 
uh, getting your PhD and, and showing up in spaces? What does that look like? Yeah, which is a, another space where I'm the only Asian uh, hmm. in, a, in a cohort of 12 folks, wonderful, beautiful, diverse, um, but black and white folks, right? And so um, I've had to learn to try to advocate you know, for myself and for my people <laughs> um, in ways that feel like potentially costly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate it's a, it's, it's a safe group. Um, it's a good group. Um, but yeah, there is, there is that fear um, that's, just, that's just there. And yeah, with, with respect to Instagram, it's kind of like, I don't think anyone, uh, I don't feel like in danger, but it also feels like, uh, who, who's, who is this for? <laughs> mm -hmm. I almost have to remind myself, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when posting, like, like who, who exactly is this for? Um, and if it can be, uh, you know, just at some level, uh, if it's just for me, if it's for, you know, Asian American, uh, Asian Americans trying to figure out the place of, of their identity and, and God, um, beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful. And so, yeah, there is, there is part of me that, uh, is like, how much teaching do I want to do? How much work do I want to do in explaining? Um, so those things are there, but I think overall, um, I feel like if there are, you know, a number of folks that are, you know, benefiting and, and it's putting words and language um, to help experience, uh, to move through trauma, to, to bring healing, to, to feel to feel seen, to feel heard, it's worth it. It's worth the, it's, it's worth the cost. Yeah. Yes, I hear you. And I don't have a lot to say to that. Like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, where you grew up, uh, kind of like your experience of Asians or Asian Americans, um, you know, narratives that came out I'd be really curious to kind of know that's in part what I'm doing too on the account is actually trying to name uh, some of these stereotypes or narratives and and just kind of and just kind of deal and just kind of deal with it engage you know engage it you know Asians are good at math so I wrote a, I wrote a whole a whole post about 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 math and well I mean I grew up in the northwest so I I mean I have had many interactions with Asians but I think one of the one of the posts that you had had put about Asians being silent and I'm going to look for it real quick um uh hold on one second this this one here really really hit me it said to be Asian American is to be silent Silence has been both our greatest feat and our worst fear. Silence grounded in mindfulness brings unflinching fortitude. 
silence driven by fear leads to an even deeper shame. Um, I guess when I think about my interactions with Asian people, especially as a child, I, I actually do think of that stereotype of them being quiet. Um, and, and into my probably high school years, um, you know, one of my best friends was half Chinese and she was not quiet at all. And, and, and was, we had, we just tore it up. Like we were, we would have a good time and we were, you know, kind of wild. And, and so, um, I think it was interesting to the, I don't even know where that stereotype came from, honestly. So when you had posted it, that, that post about Asians being silent, I was like, gosh, that feels deeply true. And also why, why, what, you know, what has happened? What's the history behind that? And actually you had shared, um, about um, how you would share with your PhD class about the PBS documentary, Asian yeah. Americans. And so I, I went and watched the first part of that. And, um, you know, being from the Northwest, there is so much Asian history here. And um, when my family moved to Bainbridge Island, I learned about Japanese internment because one of the properties that my family was looking at buying mm -hmm. was previously a strawberry farm of Japanese farmers. Yeah. And they right. were interned during uh, World War II. And the hit, uh, the, the, to know the history of the land that while they were gone, two irrigation ditches that were you know, separated um, because they were unkept for so many years connected into a long lake that has a, a, a single thin island in between it. And, and my parents did eventually buy that property um, to have just kind of this deep sadness um, for knowing that history and, and not knowing the name of the family um, that had been removed. Um, Bainbridge Island has actually done a phenomenal job of, of marking the history. Uh, they have a Japanese internment memorial. They have an incredible Bainbridge Island History Museum that pays homage to um, Japanese specifically, but, but Asian Americans in, in our community because they are harrowing or just like, one of the things that still haunts me is they have a picture of the schoolhouse and the year before Japanese internment and then the year after. And it was like a sea of, you know, beautiful mix of, of white and, and Asian faces. And the next year, completely white. Mm -hmm. It haunts me wow. to, to see that. Um, and so, yeah, wow. I think when you asked me about my experience, yeah. um, that those are the things that comes to mind. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I feel like I've got to make a pilgrimage to Angel Island. Mm -hmm. um, I think is outside of San Francisco or outside the Bay Area. So. Yeah. Um, this is like not part of the history that I heard until probably it's like more recently. Mm -hmm. um, and so to yeah try to make these kinds of pilgrimages, I think is uh, going to be on the docket. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think we could have a whole conversation about Asians in uh, Latinx history. Um, I've done my own research a bit about Mexico, but recently got my DNA done. <clears throat> and one of my uh, cousins, a first cousin, uh, not by our family, but by outside 
people in like her school and stuff was always made fun of for having what they would like derogatory names about her eyes slanty or chink chink a lot a lot of a lot of slurs and our family would always be like no no you know like and I was like oh that but when I would look at her I would think well you do look a little bit Asian you know I would think that um in my mind and uh there's a guy that wrote a book called um uh, it's like on brown theology like his Robert Chow Romero anyway so I had my DNA done and it came back that Apparently we have, uh, I have a percentage of Northern Filipino blood in me that's made it all the way to me. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) that was real. Like whatever, whatever came through was real. And so um, I was like, and, and besides that, my DNA is like a tour of colonialism, you know? So, but that was one of the things that stood out for me. And I was just like, huh. So that's, that's a part of me. So I, I wondered, I often wonder like if what's in our bones, if what we're like attracted to, or if what, where we feel home is partly in our blood. And I, I do gravitate towards my um, Asian brothers and sisters, you know, have some really close Korean friends and some Chinese, um, you know, friends, Chinese American friends as well. And I I love them dearly. (laughs) I was like, oh, like, I know that's not Filipino. It's different. But there was there just always always felt like this kinship. And and uh, same with Luis. And so we're like, oh, that's why, you know, I felt like, oh, maybe there's some evidence to this. And so I am curious, like in your research, where there's more intersectionality between Latinx communities and Asian American communities, because I think there's actually quite a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think there is. Um, the, just the Chinese diaspora is 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 pretty vast. Um, and yeah, I think it would certainly be worth doing a bit more research. Um, Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that, that's pretty amazing though yeah it's funny yeah I mean it's great and it's like oh okay so that yeah. was real yeah 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 one of the things I'm thinking about too with this you know with respect to like AAPI Asian American is you know just the term itself is has become like a demographic term um, where it was invented in the 60s as a political t- as a activist term um, a political term um, to sort of join in with the civil rights movement. So it came, it comes out of California student activism um, for at that point, pri- primarily Chinese, Japanese um, folks, young folks to have a term, uh, a collective term um, to, to take up this mo- a movement of justice. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a good amount of discussion on how it's just become kind of a bland um, and or meaningless term because there's, it's so diverse. Um, Asian America is so diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 58 countries or ethnicities revol- you know, involved and probably close to that many languages, you know, mm-hmm. um, that might be included within the Asian American kind of umbrella. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot, <laughs> but that kinship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, maybe coming back to starting with the collective, um, and then moving into particularity. I mean, that's just what we need to do. So. Yeah. And I do think we, we really have only just started right. And here we are you know, almost at the end of our conversation. And it, and always I feel like this is just one of many conversations and for some an introduction to a conversation that maybe they haven't thought of having um, or maybe they are just learning about. And this can be uh, a, a way of uh, introducing them to some exploring their own interactions and their own identity. And um, I, I I mean, I, we could have 10 more conversations. <laughs> and so I, I am grateful you know, that we got to have this one today and, and to spend this time together uh, with you. Thank you for joining us and the first part of a two-part conversation with Michael Chen. We hope you enjoyed what you've heard and it sparked some further thinking and thoughts around the difficult subjects of collective trauma and culture and, and what it looks like to bring these perspectives from the margins. And we're looking forward to releasing our next episode with Michael soon.